Hey, welcome everyone to I So Appreciate You, an honest, raw, and sometimes funny podcast about work, community, life, and all the other stuff we juggle. Hi, I'm Pohua. And I'm Nadej, and we're colleagues at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. In addition to that, we're friends. And so when we talk, our conversations can run the gamut. We can start talking about board meetings and governance procedures. We can get into mother-daughter dynamics, and then we can be like, where are we going to dinner tonight? I prefer that conversation. And so we thought that maybe some of you would like to join us in conversation. So here we are with I So Appreciate You. Welcome everyone. Today we are going to dive into what happens when an organization transitions from a white leader to leaders of color. Our guest, Deshaun Drew, president of NPR, will share his thoughts with us. But before that, well, before that, we have to talk about Beyonce. Let's talk about her. Because why wouldn't you start every conversation talking about Beyonce? This is why you're my (laughs) co-host. Well, earlier this year, maybe it's not that long ago, my sense of time means nothing these days. Or, Or actually, we're in 2022 now. Last year, Beyonce made fashion history right. by being the first black woman to wear that iconic Tiffany diamond, some like obscene number of carats. 128. I mean, after, you know, 50 I, carats. I, I Honestly, I like I have to, after two or three, I don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> And I saw that and I saw like everybody was talking about it. And I just thought, why is this such a big deal? Like, why is it a big deal that Beyonce, who is like, I mean, come on, she's Beyonce. She's Beyonce. Is wearing a Tiffany diamond. And it kind of hit me like, here we are still highlighting the first and only to do something. And the reason that stuck with me is is because of our topic today. It's about leadership and the weight that comes with kind of being the first yes. and the only. And We're going to chat a little bit about that. Your experience specifically, Pahua. Yeah, I mean, in that Beyonce article, I mean, that Beyonce instance, it it was a, what, benign example, but it also brought a lot of emotions, though. Should she? Shouldn't she? Anyway. Uh, What did her pictures look like? That's right. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, too much. Well, I forwarded you an article that popped in my Twitter feed a while back, and the, the title of the report is Making or Taking Space. Initial themes on nonprofit transitions from white to BIPOC leaders. This is specific to nonprofits, but I think that it will read and feel true to a lot of people, no matter what industry you're in. This is a report that was written by the Building Movement Project on behalf of the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation. And it's it's a long report, but what I gathered from it, from the themes that they lifted up, was that there is an expectation placed on leaders of color who step into the roles left by white leaders. There's absolutely an expectation. And maybe any time, but especially this time that we're living in. Well, you've you've had that experience. I've had that experience. And and I think that is what the things I felt when I stepped into the executive director role after my amazing boss, who's probably listening, Sean Kershaw left the Citizens League. So this is a a very long-standing organization in Minnesota. It started in 1952, and it was always led by white men. And each white man led it with a very long tenure. So it being almost 70 years old and only having, you know, seven executive directors by the time I said yes to the role, I remember being excited to take it on. But as soon as I did, this feeling settled in for me of I was the first and that was the headline. 
like every press release was first woman, first woman of color, first person of color to take this role. Okay, so, you know, when that happens, regardless of, I mean, obviously you're qualified. Like, I know you're I talented. I have been there. Obviously. I told John what to do, right. so I figured I could do it. <laughs> but does it make you doubt yourself a little bit in that, like, is this the only reason I'm here? Well, I think had I not had spent time there and felt comfortable already doing the work, I would have, because there is a movement to place leaders of color in roles. And we we are not always successful in those roles no, because we, we have not been trained or groomed. There's not been an intentional pathway for us. And the environment has not been created for us to be well-received. So when you found, you know, here you are in this role, what were some of the, the biggest challenges, whether they were real or perceived by you as you are stepping into this role that has previously been held by white men? So here's the kicker. It wasn't the work. Policy, comfortable. Going to a hearing room at the Capitol, comfortable. It was the other stuff. Like, it was nearing year end. Will my predominantly white wealthy donors support this organization now that I was leading it. Okay, I'm going to call you on that. Why is that not the work? I mean, isn't that the I work? I mean, that is the work. Not, okay, so to be fair, every executive director has to fundraise. So that is a large part of the work. When I think about the work, I think about the mission that the Citizens League is charged with is to involve people in good government, good governance, government, and policymaking. And that that's, to me, was the work. Of course, fundraising is the work, but it was how will people react to me is the piece I'm talking about. No, and I hear you, but I want to push you and I want to name okay. that 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 work that you're doing, that emotional labor, the figuring out how oh, to I see be, what you mean. how yes, to be you of course that in is that the space. Work. That's the work. We don't value that work. Though. No, we so don't. So then I don't so value that I work. I want to value it for you, so okay. I'm not going to let you slide past it. That's part of Thank the work. Thank you. That's where you're going with that. Yes, this is also the, the work that all of us, all leaders of color, we have this emotional burden, right? This emotional work that we're doing that does not get recognized. This is not on my performance evaluation. Nope. I don't get a raise based on how well I do here, but I've got to do it. Right. And I do it. I can't bring attention to it. I've just got to do it. I will commiserate with folks like you, right? With, with, with girlfriends, other leaders of color, like, oh my gosh. And sometimes we're we're so tired. We don't even talk about it. We just like nod knowingly Mm -hmm. because there's a lot to, especially again, what this article points out is other leaders who are not leaders of color are probably not going to feel the way that we do stepping in, following, let's say a charismatic white leader, because they don't have to, they don't have that emotional baggage of why am I here? Am I the right person? I'm the first woman, first person of color. If I fail, if this organization of 70 years dies on my watch, it will be remembered. Like that is what I carried every day into work on top of like just, just, just doing the just. capital W work, but you're right. And this is why you hear about burnout. Mm-hmm. This is why when I hear, and I'm not one for rumor mills, if you know me, but if I hear someone talk about a leader of color saying, oh, why don't they? I'm like, what have you done to support them? Because we can't lose another person. And I know how difficult, you know how difficult Mm -hmm. it is to step in any role, but to step into a leadership role where there's just seemingly more demands on you. Right. And they come from all sides, right? They they come from the fact of your role. They come from external constituents. They come from your staff. They come from your staff. They, you know, questions are being asked that 
sat dormant for years, but all of a sudden, because you're here, there's like a ticking time clock. Like, oh, we've now got a leader of color in place and therefore we should solve this equity problem that has been like with the organization yeah. its entire duration. That's right. It's, it's your job to solve for it now because we hired you. Isn't that great? <laughs> and you're here now, so you're going to solve for it. Whereas I think our white counterparts may be involved in the same conversations, but, and this is my interpretation, it might be a thought exercise for them. I feel a real sense of urgency. Right. Well, and you a feel deep it. sense of responsibility. Yes. To at least make progress. No one's going to solve for racism. No, because okay? if we could, we would have done yeah, that Yeah, we would have done like, that already. I, I'll do it right now. I'll snap my fingers. But if what I could. is the tangible difference that you're going to make while you're here? Yep. Like, I, I feel that. And I've always felt that at every job, especially when race comes up, when equity comes up. What are you going to do? Because you look the part, what are you going to do to earn your spot here? These are these are the really ah. deep questions and conversations that I think, you know, you and I have have variations on this theme all the time. But I think as we see organizations being really intentional about their leadership choices that they're making, both locally and nationally, right. I think that, you know, this article that that you've shared and that certainly will will make available is really something people should stop and think about, which is why I'm super excited, super excited for the rest of this conversation with Dushan Drew, because he he has experienced this, I think, throughout his career. Yes. And, and most recently stepping in as the president of NPR. Yeah. So I think we we're we've got a really great conversation ahead of us and we'll be right back after the break. At the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation, we partner with hundreds of nonprofits to support their endowment funds. An endowment is a great way to provide your organization with stable income for generations to come. If you are interested in learning more about starting an endowment, contact a member of our team by visiting spmcf.org backslash endowment. Welcome back. We are delighted to welcome Deshaun Drew to our show today. Before we get started, Deshaun, we have three quick questions. It's a tradition here to get us warmed up. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Red or white wine? Red. Solo trip or group tour? Group tour. Sweet tooth or salty snacks? Salty snacks. Ah, I would have totally pegged you for a solo trip really kind of guy i feel like you've got the like group biking and the other things that you do see that that didn't surprise me well, it's at because all. he does all of those that he uh-huh. just needs to get away <laughs> uh, well anyway i mean well, i'm gonna believe you <laughs> all right before we dive in we want to give our listeners just kind of a quick snapshot of your bio um you're a veteran newspaper reporter editor and manager and now president of minnesota public radio previously the Community Network VP at the Bush Foundation, and congratulations on recently being named a new trustee to the Columbia University Board. Thank you. Yeah, congrats on that. So, you know, earlier in our show, Pahua and I were chatting about leadership. We do that a lot, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's important. It's a big topic. But more specifically, we were chatting about this article that Pahua sent me some weeks ago about you know, BIPOC leaders making or taking space, basically in that transition from white leadership. And I know you've had a chance to to dig into that article a little bit, and we're going to, we're going to really chew on it. But just curious, any initial reactions after reading it? I thought it was really thoughtful. I I could relate personally to elements of it. And then there are other pieces that weren't my experience, but they still seemed familiar to me just living in this world. and, And I think it really spoke to how much more intentional we need to be as we as we not just 
you know, hire people into leadership roles, but how we really position them to succeed and position the organizations to make the most of what they have to offer. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, we can see in our community, all you have to do is look around. There have been a lot of leadership transitions as of late and some really great new BIPOC leaders stepping to the helm of organizations. And so it is clear that there's an intentionality around that, but is it enough just to hire someone into the job or is there a little bit more that we need to be doing? Yeah, hiring is critical, right? But it's not sufficient. And I I think about how with most hires, black, white, or green, right? Like the real work begins once, once they're there, right? And, and I think a lot of organizations should be more intentional about the whole arc of someone getting off on the right foot, but also having support and opportunities to stop and, and sort of pause and talk about how it's really going and what would make it better. And what are the things that maybe were a little surprising or different than what either had been discussed or had been hoped for? And what I appreciate about this report is that it's specific to the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. So the report, again, the title of the report is Making or Taking Space Initial Themes on Nonprofit Transitions from White to BIPOC Leaders. And this is work being done by the Building Movement Project on behalf of the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation. And I think that in the last couple of months, we've been hearing a lot about the Great Resignation, which is creating space for people to come in. And I think just the growing diversity of not just Minnesota, but the country is, I think, providing an opportunity for organizations to think about hiring leaders of color. But to Nadesh's point, I think it, hiring is not, you're, we're not done after that, right? Uh, so and, far from being done. <laughs> and, and there's a lot to be done to create an environment where everyone feels a sense of belonging. But certainly those leaders of color who are stepping into maybe predominantly white spaces, especially following a, let's say, a, a leader of a white leader who might even, who might be well-liked, charismatic or, or not, right? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, Deshaun, that there were some pieces in the report that resonated with you and some that, that were, you were familiar, but not your experience. Can you touch on some of what some of those were? For you? Sure. So, you know, I stepped into my role at NPR last May, May of, of uh, 2020. So you just, and I started at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We were okay. on the same schedule. So yeah. like about three weeks before George Floyd was murdered. And so, you know, I, I came into the role knowing that there would be some challenges and knowing that there'd be a ton of upside once I got my arms around all the things. But it was more challenging financially because of the pandemic, to be frank. Right. right? So we, we had this as one of the issues raised in, in, this, um, in this think piece, which is that Sometimes you come in and it wasn't, it wasn't that anyone lied to me. Things changed right? yeah. and we still had to react to it, right? Like we were having the best year ever until we weren't. I bring that up just because I think just this, this sense of like, you think it's going to be one deal and you get in and it's another deal. And that's before we even begin to talk about George Floyd's murder leading to racial reckoning all over the globe and leading to a lot of organizations having to screw up with their own shortcomings when it comes to equity issues we had our issues and still have issues around that at NPR and, and American Public Media Group. None of those were secrets. I mean, that was part of the interview process. So yeah. it wasn't like no yeah. one knew or was uh, thinking about how we could do better on that front. But it, it was almost like the fuse was lit and we were like running out of time, right? You had to say, no, we're going to come in and do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no, you're doing it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. You know? 
And so I, I definitely felt like uh, a lot of the issues raised in this piece were present for me as I was starting a lot of the internal cultural and culture sort of stressors that were there. They were, they were always there on some level. There are there many organizations just became a lot more acute with all the stress people were carrying, living through a pandemic. In many instances for our organization, people on the streets covering the racial unrest issues yeah. and then living it as well. Right. We all, this is our home. And so there was just a lot more tension and stress. And so it wasn't, there was no honeymoon. You know, you think oftentimes when you start right. in a yeah. role, like you have the first few months to just sort of like to meet and greet, let's do and lunch, right? Enjoy and inbox. Like, There's just three emails in there. There was none of that. Like my first day, once again, you know, like this is the nature of the the, the times. Like my first day, I was handed the list of people taking buyouts and handed financial targets for additional oh gosh, layoffs to make Deshaun. the budget work. And that wasn't because people were trying to be callous. It's like, if we get that wrong, then we cease to exist. If we get that wrong, then we're laying off a lot more people than if we make strategic cuts, right? But that was literally day one. Right. Here's a list of people you're not going to get to work with for very long. Yeah. And then here's a number, right? Or numbers that become names of real people right? <laughs> in time, right? And, yeah. and in a short time, I had to have that figured out within the first couple of weeks. Wow. Do, do you have any sense, you know, certainly the time, the pandemic, the racial reckoning would have made any leader stepping into your role, would have challenged any leader. But did you ever get the sense that you were being pushed a little bit faster because you were now a black man in the space at a time of racial reckoning, at a time when an organization, as you commented, you know, you know, there are things to, to work on. Did you ever feel, would I be pushed quite this fast if I weren't me? I don't know if I felt as if, if I was being pushed or if I was being pulled by events. And I, and I get the nature of the question. I, I think I probably came in, to be frank, more equipped to deal with many of these issues than most of my peers or my boss, just because I had experience dealing with these issues, not just because I'm a black man, but because of the nature of the leadership roles I played both in workplace and in community over time. And that was part of what made me an attractive candidate for the role. Sure. So. I think it's worth saying again, like they were aware that we had some cultural issues that we have not been as successful in, in holding on to and elevating women and people of color over mm -hmm. time. Certainly not the only reason I was hired, but it was part of the discussion as I went through the process. And so I think what happened was this sense of, okay, we're going to, we're going to step into these issues thoughtfully and, 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 and tackle them over the coming months became no word we're dealing with this right now like, <laughs> right. like now the coming now. hours yeah 8 like a.m 10 a.m happening i can smell the smoke right <laughs> it's Ooh. like literally like there's no like warm-up ramp up it's like let's begin as best we can accelerating and leaning into this in a more meaningful way than i think otherwise would have been the case you talked about you know the culture and internal dynamics and then also talked about previously how you know you saw yourself as more equipped or well-equipped for the role at hand, given where the organization was and given all of your background experience, not just your personal lived experience. And I wonder, when you think about other leadership roles like that, do you think that as a sector or as organizations, we value that experience around, you know, there's a lot of emotional labor in that experience around culture and internal dynamics, right? There's no ROI for that, right? It, but there's a lot of heavy, heavy work. Do you think we place enough value on that skill? I don't think many places do, and I, I think it bites them. I think a lot of the places that have unhealthy cultures have un unhealthy cultures because they haven't made it a priority. You know, I want to circle us back to something you said kind of at the top of our conversation 
about hiring's not just enough. You have to be intentional about the arc. And I'd just love to get your thoughts on what does that intentionality look like? Mm -hmm. I mean, have you had some really great experiences? Have you heard of some things that would be really good in shaping that arc? And and what have you put into place already? I've got examples both in terms of my own experience, what I've seen. So I think back, I'll use for, I'll start with when I started at the Bush Foundation back in March of 2015, Jen Fordnerini, who's the president there, was my boss. And she spent four hours on each of the first two days I was there. And she had like a, just a map. Here's the things you need to know. And it wasn't all stuff I had to do. I didn't have to memorize it. It was just, here's how we got to now. Here's where we're going. Here's how you fit in. Here's kind of a sense of where we are as an organization. Because it was it was a huge, at that point still, sort of ship turning. In yeah. terms of ch- yep. change management was underway. I was coming in. If it was a baseball game, probably in like the third or fourth inning or something. I wasn't there at the beginning, but we hadn't got <laughs> something stretched yet. And so I just appreciated that because I think she was anticipating, you know, that my head would be spinning for a bunch of reasons, but even just in understanding what journey we were on as an organization, right? I'm on a board where we were hiring a co-executive director to partner with the founding ED. So we were really intentional on the front end of thinking about what's person A's role, what's person Mm. B's role, what dimensions is they going to share, how are we going to make sure that they are developing healthy, respectful, trusting relationships, how are we going to make sure the staff that reports to them feels like they're getting, we just, we kind of mapped it all out and we talked about it over and over again. We hired a consultant to work with the two of them Mm. to make sure there was kind of a, you know, somebody who was available and and thoughtful and skilled in this arena who could help them sort of surface, discuss, resolve any differences that might pop up. I'm thinking about even, you know, in my role here at NPR, John McTaggart is my initial boss, the CEO of APMG, assigned one of the SVPs, Mike Resler, to kind of be my body person. Like, like if you have any questions about anything large or small. I never got a body call, person. Right? Call Mike. Any, I, anytime, I day or are. night. <laughs> you we we got to build that into our onboarding, I yeah, guess. Yeah, call it a body yeah. person. He's my guy. I could, I, I could, you know, I could text him in the middle of a meeting going, what was that? <laughs> what yeah. just happened here, right? Yeah. Or like, you know, and, and he, made, he was really clear. He was like, nothing's out of bounds nothing silly, nothing's, you know, it's like, I don't know, I'll tell you, right? But like, I recognize there's a lot spinning and he'd been in that role a long time at the company a long time in various roles actually. And so I think it's having somebody like beyond the boss in that regard, who's like available to help, right? And and, yeah. and somebody who is really at that point, just invested in you kind of getting, getting off to a solid start, right? And who can be real with you about stuff, including saying, I don't know, but here's the questions I might ask. Yeah. Well, this is somewhat connected to the creating the environment, I think. One thing I didn't expect, but I was really appreciative of when I entered the foundation. Obviously, I mean, people who know me, you know I'm a Hmong woman. Uh, And we have a lot of Hmong staff at the foundation. There was a group of us that got together and we still communicate as a group now. And that sense of we have someone new. We're going to wrap ourselves around this this new person. We're also, especially during last year with anti-Asian hate, we just, it was good to have that support. Curious whether staff at NPR, with your arrival, was there like a, oh, he just gets me. I won't have to explain these things <laughs> because he, he and I might have the same lived experience or at least we'll get some of the things that maybe they were going through or have been through. Any of that for you? Oh, my wife is certain. Yeah, my wife was like, yeah, <laughs> I think he gets me. <laughs> I, I, 
I would hope so. Yeah. It was it was it was welcoming, but it was it was once again it was kind of this somewhat distant. And there actually right. aren't there aren't that many black folks at NPR. So you think about we've got the current classical in the newsroom, which is why it's even more important. Yeah. Oh, for certain. Yeah. So yeah. it's not that people weren't warm. It was just they're just scattered. scattered. They're scattered. siloed. Yes. Right. They are very siloed, and so. It wasn't like there was, a, I think, a, as much of a sense of community there as I've experienced in some other places we're working mm, on that. There's sure. A, there's, a, there's a BIPOC ERG um, that I think has really... Um, That's Employee Resource Group yes, listeners. Yes, Employee Resource Group. So all the black, indigenous, and other people of color uh, in the org are invited to participate in, in kind of a monthly get-together. And we've done... In addition to the Zoom meetings, right, we've also actually done stuff in person, which has been wonderful. Oh, that's nice. So I think that that's, that's one of the positive things in terms of really trying to just, you know, we're not going to talk about work, work. Like, who are you? What makes you tick? Right. We actually, um, every meeting, their monthly meetings, every meeting, somebody, oftentimes two people will go and kind of tell their life stories. And sometimes they'll even do PowerPoints. Like, here's a picture <laughs> of me when I was five on a pony or whatever. But it's just, we're getting to right. know each other as people. I kind of love that, actually, yeah, a little it's bit. It's been nice. It's yeah. been really nice. Because then, you know, because then you're like logging in for the next month and you know something about this person beyond like what they do, right? And where they sit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've done that in our staff meeting. Yeah, we've done, you know, but I'd love to see pictures of, you know, five-year-old versions. We've done some pictures, but this is also (laughs) how I found out that one of my team members had auditioned for, oh, what's the singing show? Why am I blanking right now? American Idol? Yes. Oh, wow. She had gone to Chicago. So anyway. We have a lot of talented staff. We do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You'd be surprised when you start asking around. Well, you know, maybe not this role, maybe other roles, because the reality is, you know, uh, this article really focused on leadership, like that top role. But Mm -hmm. frankly, this happens kind of at all leadership levels. Have you ever found, or as I try to unwind this question as it's rolling itself in my brain, (laughs) are there just the things that like, you should just not do? Don't ever do that again. Like you've, you know, have you encountered some things that if you could put together a list proactively and say to folks, don't do this. When you're bringing people on. When you're bringing uh, a, a new, you yeah. know, BIPOC leader in, in a role that probably is historically held, been held by a white person. That is such a good question. Dying to know. See, I'm so yeah, glad I, I mean, got to a good yeah, question. On, yes. on, on, I think they're all great <laughs> questions. I think on a high level, just be really clear on the front end that it's going to look and feel and be different. That's why you hired that person. Like, the truth of the matter is, if nothing meaningful changes at all, they're probably not being themselves or you probably hired somebody who's different than what you thought you were going to get, right? I mean, it, it's not just a, a paint job we're talking about. You're yes. trying to bring in people who have different perspectives and have different experiences and have different ways of moving in the world and to have that shape all the things, right? And to create really not just for people of color within and beyond an organization, but just to be an example, but there are lots of ways to lead. There are lots of ways, right, to build and to create the work that you're charged with creating and building together, whatever that may be, right? It doesn't have to look one way. And so I think the thing that's most important is to encourage leaders to be their authentic selves. And as you encourage that, to be prepared for that to make you uncomfortable at times. If you're a board member or if you're another staff member, like, this is what you actually asked for. Here it is. And I think that's key. Yeah. Because there are some people I work with now who say, I keep hearing that, but are you ready for it? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not enough. 
to open the spot, you actually have to make that space. And I just, I really love you saying that if nothing meaningful changes, they probably aren't being themselves. Right. Because that's probably the reality. They're probably following the script that you've written for them. And if that's the case, you didn't need me. You didn't need you. Didn't need Pahua. You right. could have put anyone in right. there. Yeah. And we're probably dying. Right? Like that's the other thing. <laughs> too. Yes. Like, if, Inside yeah. every yeah. day. If, yes. if we're showing up and we're reading somebody else's lines, right? Right. That's probably killing us a little bit every day, right? And so I, I will tell you that I was very clear from the moment I applied for this job that I was not going to be that person. That, and I, once again, that elbows out, but really clear in my own mind about what kind of person I am and so should be in all the spaces I inhabit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how that shapes the leadership walk that I'm on, right? And so I try to be reflective and try to take feedback and try to make sure that things I'm, I'm doing and saying are landing effectively. So I'm not trying to be like, of course I'm perfect, right? But I'm also generally unapologetic about how I roll. And, and I think particularly if you're clear up front about what you're trying to accomplish and inviting feedback and intru- inviting ongoing dialogue, it gives you more leeway to just be yourself. I know I'm very different than people who led in the organization previously, and it's not just because of the melanin count, right? Um, But I think people, whether they like what I'm doing, all of what I'm doing or not, I think they know it's coming from a place of sincerity and that it's coming from a a place of, of really wanting to drive us to a different level of excellence, Right. And to create a more inclusive and more equitable and, and more successful organization. If we could, if we were better, this is true of, of all of our organizations. If we were really, really good, excellent at bringing in a wide range of people, then and not, a, not only having them kind of be their best selves, but, but be their best selves together to create things that they couldn't create absent the other person bringing their A game, right. that'd be amazing. Most of us don't get to see that or no. work in that space or breathe that kind of air. Right. And so that's what I'm driving toward every day. And that's, what I'm excited about and that's why I I don't mind disrupting things along the way because what we're doing now actually isn't working for lots of people that's right right it reminds me of a piece of advice that I heard is or an observation we hire for difference but we onboard for sameness Mm -hmm. so we end up back where we started and then those of us who are trying to trying to show up authentically we do die a little bit every day well then why don't you just tell me what you want right? right And we could be working so much harder, more creatively for the organization if we're given that space. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think this is as good a place of any to stop because we could spend the next few hours sort of chewing on this. Um, we'd have to get that red wine, though, to make it worth our while. Um, <laughs> and the salty snacks. And yes. the salty snacks. Don't forget the snacks. <laughs> but before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance, you know, for a last word, if there's any sort of parting thought or comment that this conversation has elicited for you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I just think that, and I touched on it earlier, I think leadership comes in different forms, right? Good leadership comes in different forms. There are some consistencies along the way communication, for example, listening, right? But I think that we have to be more comfortable with and more committed to investing in and supporting different kinds of leadership, you know, being excited about what that can bring us. And we should think about what are we missing out on right now? Because it's such a narrow bandwidth. One of the things that, you know, when I got this job, what I recognized, I knew it from the time I applied, but it really hit me once I got it. And when I was hearing from friends and strangers, it was like, there aren't that many roles in in this community where people of color are driving Mm -hmm. where 
what we're driving is something that white folks are heavily invested in. Yes. Right? Wow. So yeah. that's not meant to denigrate the people of color running organizations that are serving people of color. That's not at all where I'm going. But so often that stuff, I think, can seem peripheral to our white friends and neighbors because yeah. it's not their deal. NPR is is Minnesota, right? It's it's at the heart. It's Lake Wobegon and, and more, right? But it is Lake Wobegon, right? Right, And absolutely. so I just remember like a lot of people were just really happy about it, but just like, oh, wow, they did that. Well, because it doesn't happen often enough. That's why we thought of you when we thought about this article and thought you are driving this. Yeah. Very Minnesota, white Minnesota institution. Yeah. And I I love it. I've been an NPR member since six months after I moved. That shouldn't be such a big deal in 2020, 2021 now. Right. Like it should just be able, of course, this talent from all parts of our community. And we're here in big numbers. We are 30 percent people of color, 30 percent of the metro area now. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, but 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 our leadership, Kadra, doesn't look anything like that. Nothing like that. So yes. I think that we've got a more organizations need to decide that they're going to not take some big R risk, capital nope. R risk. I was not a risky hire. Yeah. <laughs> Just no. to say that. I was <laughs> not, not a risky hire. Right? right. And I think the, the guy who hired me would say that this was not a risky hire. Really glad to have him. Right. So but but I think we need to see that happen more and more and more in this market, in this community. And it'll be part of what I think helps us walk the talk and part of what will help us attract and keep more diverse talent in the market. I mean, it, it's still too much of a rarity for the day and time living in. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Deshaun, for joining us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. What a great conversation. Wow. This has been a really fantastic conversation. First, you know, your experience and then hearing Deshaun talk about his leadership and how he's really stepped into it. What Pahua has stood out to you about today's chat? Two things. Okay. How if we don't embrace the change that we hired for, that the people you just hired were different are like slowly dying every day. You're nodding your head. I am nodding my head. I've got the Fuji's killing me softly running (laughs) into the background. And then the other thing, which he put into words, a feeling I've had, and I, and, I, and I didn't think about it the way that he did, which was he is leading a very Minnesota institution, NPR. Had he led, these weren't his words, but had he led an organization that was known to be serving majority people of color, people might went, oh yeah, that makes sense. But because he was now leading, a black man leading NPR, it was different. It felt different. People noticed. And I think that's a little bit of how I felt stepping into the role of being the executive director for the Citizens League. And I didn't think about it in the way that he just talked about it today. So he named it. He named it. We've all heard it. And it's time for it to be not so special anymore. Yes. We don't want to be that special. Right. It's time for it to be regular. And it's, you know, it's time for change. Change is change. And I think that's what we learned today. So with that, you know, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You. You can find us on Facebook at I So Appreciate You Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at So Appreciate You. We'd also appreciate you taking a moment to leave us a review. And if you like our show, be sure to follow I So Appreciate You on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Have a question or a topic suggestion? Email us at podcast at spmcf.org. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You.